0: All right, so I am here talking to Noor Tajori. Noor, for those of you who don't know her, is an activist, a journalist at Newsy, and currently she's hosting a show called A Woman's Job, where she profiles women who are killing it in male-dominated jobs. So, Noor, that's, th- those are my words, but I would love to hear about you in your words.
1: Yeah, so um, so I currently work at Newsie, and um, I actually re-released A Woman's Job back during um, – women's month and i've been shooting for a new series um sold in america and it's about commercial sex trafficking in the u.s or commercial sexual exploitation and sex trafficking in the u.s and so we've been traveling for months we've been working on this for months and are still working on it um so hopefully it'll come out in the fall and um yeah, so that's that's kind of the, the work deal. That's what's taking up most of my time right now. And then besides that, I travel um, to different schools and organizations around the world and just talk about identity and pursuing your passion and being your most authentic self.
0: That's fascinating. Can, can you tell us a little bit more about the, the upcoming series or is it all under wraps till it comes out? Like. It sounds like you're traveling all over. Where are you going? Like, who are you talking to? Um, what, what, what is the awareness that you're trying to raise around around this subject?
1: Well, so sex trafficking has been something that I have been um, very, very passionate about um, since I was in high school. Like, I read Nicholas Kristof's Passage Guide, and uh, I was hooked. I didn't realize that this is something that girls were going through. But what was different about the book and what I'm working on right now is that it focused on situations in places like Asia and Nepal, um, Thailand, Cambodia, when the reality is that this is happening in your own backyard, which I know is such a cliche to say, but it actually is. And um, nowhere in the U.S. is immune to this. And so we are traveling all over the country, um, and covering very specific topics and aspects of this issue. So, so far we've been to Seattle, um, Louisville, Lexington, uh, Boston. We're going to Vegas this weekend. Next week we're going back to northern Kentucky, Cincinnati area. Um, and we're just covering different topics surrounding the um, the causes of, of trafficking in this area, whether it be the heroin epidemic, foster care. Um, Pipeline. We're also talking like the legalization debate and how um, the market has moved heavily online. So things of that nature. Um, we're fo- we're based in D.C., so we're focusing a lot in D.C. as well, and kind of taking us where the stories have, the stories are, and um, talking to several survivors and uh, different ways people are tackling this issue all over the country.
0: Well, I mean, that, that, that's incredibly noble work that you're doing. And uh, personally, I'm, I'm really interested to check out the series. I hope anyone else that's listening does as well. We'll definitely remind everyone when it comes out here on Anchor. Um, so your, your work, from what I've seen you know, in doing my research about you, it seems like you're obviously focused on sex tra- raising awareness around sex trafficking, the objective, objectification of women, I guess outside of the things that you are known to be very vocal about. What other things happening in the world today or in the press or in the news that sort of press that same button for you and, and get you wanting to raise your voice and raise awareness about?
1: It? That's a really interesting question just because um, when, people, when people see the work that I do or even when people refer, use the term activist, I think that it's very unique in the sense that my work itself and the stories that I'm telling – um, and the people that I'm talking to kind of do that for themselves. So a lot of the times when there is an issue, say, for instance, when it comes to the misrepresentation of Muslims in the U.S. and in the media, um, instead of going and protesting um, because I am a journalist and that's not my job, I will go into communities or talk to groups of people who are being directly affected by this or b- present numbers and facts and statistics statistics, and do a story that is fair and balanced, that shows and uncovers a certain truth that people are going through. And that, that really is my job. And so, um, so any issue, I think, dealing with a marginalized community or a subculture in the U.S. is kind of where I go to because I am a Muslim American. Um, there are, of course, certain issues in today's political climate that hit home more than others, and so when it comes to that, I, um, I'm always trying to make sure that our community has not only a voice in the stories that are being told, but, like, a voice on the forefront of the stories that are being told about them.
0: Now, is this, is this always what you wanted to do? Like, did you always plan to be a journalist and, and work on raising awareness of, of people, you know, that, that have been marginalized? Or is this something that you sort of discovered over time as you got a little bit older or just sort of fell into? Um, I find it really interesting to, uh, to see, to, to learn and hear about people who are clearly like at the top of their game as you are and, and so successful at what they're doing. Uh, because it, it seems like so often it, it wasn't the plan. I'd love to hear your story.
1: Oh my gosh, so that's a really great question because my story is a little bit of both, to be honest. I wanted to tell stories before I knew the term journalist or what a journalist was. So I was eight years old. I was obsessed with Oprah. I would watch her every single day with my mom after school and I just knew that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to ask people questions and tell stories. And um, I wasn't really good at sports. I wasn't really good at art. But that was that was my strong suit. And, and the people around me noticed that. I didn't know the term journalism until I was in middle school. And um, I think my dad sat me down and talked to me about that um, before meeting Ted Koppel for the first time. Because uh, Ted Koppel was opening a wing in the hospital that my dad works at. And so my dad kind of explained to me um, that this is somebody that you need to to meet with and why. And from there, I went into journalism. But um, the thing about whether or not I knew that these were the types of stories I wanted to tell, I had no idea. I knew I wanted to talk to people to kind of be that voice for the people who haven't had the chance to share their own voice on a platform. However, Um, growing up, as much as I was 100% sure about being a storyteller, I was also 100% sure that I was never going to wear the hijab or the headscarf. Um, I grew up in a very conservative white town and didn't know any other Muslims besides my family um, in the immediate community that I was in. And until I moved out of that town and kind of went through this identity crisis and impulsively put on the hijab. Um, I just knew that I wanted to tell stories and that because I wanted to be on television, I could never wear it because there was this glaring lack of diversity and I knew that I had to try to be like everyone else. Then when I moved out, I impulsively put it on. And, um, I remember having this moment with my mom and while I was in high school, um, I was 16, and she said, you know, if you want to do this so bad and you're going to put on the hijab, why don't you get a head start and start college early? And so I started college at 16 years old and um, basically wanted to get a head start on pursuing this dream of mine. And it wasn't until I started working in news that I realized that my responsibility was not just correcting the pronunciation of Arabic words in the newsroom and just explaining to people um, what certain cultural and religious things actually mean, it was also being that voice for our community um, or helping be that voice at least, or a voice for our community and other marginalized communities and being able to give that platform and try to do the -the behind-the-scenes work of understanding how this story is going to affect the community that we're talking about. And I think that that was something that I realized once I put on the hijab and I started experiencing certain things um, that I hadn't before. And so it took working for years in local news before I realized that all this time I wanted to be just like everybody else on TV. And my advantage was truly being myself and being able to find stories that other people wouldn't have access to because of who I was.
0: And, and the hijab, I mean, just from what I've seen, it's, it's, it seems to be a big part of your identity now. And, you know, I was watching your, your reel, and I saw that, you know, there are certain clips where people are making certain judgments about you before, you know, before you even have, have a conversation with them because of the hijab. I, honestly, like, I, I feel like that, that must be or must have been, maybe it's not any more difficult. Like, that, that's a difficult situation to manage, uh, especially when you're just trying to educate people and raise awareness and hear people's stories. Like, can you talk a little bit about that? I, I don't know if that's un- the uncomfortable to bring up, but I, I found that really interesting when I was looking at your videos.
1: No. Um, that's, so I, think, I feel like that's always a part of the process when I was working in local news. And when that incident specifically happened, um, you just kind of have to constantly remind yourself that the story is always bigger than you and mm-hmm. that there is a story to tell and it's not about you. And in certain instances right. like that, it was telling of what was happening around. Um, and look, I was in Tennessee at the time, and I was covering a story about how this group of people were against Muslims having a cemetery. And um, and that just, their reaction to me as a reporter who was just covering the story was very telling of how they perceived the community anyway. But when it... When I was struggling during um, my time in local news and people would say things like, I don't talk to people who look like you or they would ignore us, especially because at the station that I was working at, um, a couple of the videographers that I tended to go out with um, were, one was a, a black um, guy who was from D.C. and one was a young black woman from D.C. and we would go out and we would always call ourselves the best worst team because people would always look at us funny, or people would say, like, we don't, like, talk to you guys, or we won't talk to you guys, or what are you guys doing here? And that was something that we had to deal with. And so if it took a lot longer for us to get a story done than somebody, and one of the other reporters, that was just something that we kind of had to struggle with. And it wasn't until we covered a story in Baltimore um, during the Baltimore protests Um, when Freddie Freddie Gray was killed, that we had a story, we had access to a story that other journalists around didn't have access to. Um, And we were able to do that because of who we were and because people wanted to share their stories with us. And at that moment, I realized that, oh, my gosh, all these years I was trying so hard to be, um, like everyone else, when in reality, my identity was what brought me closer to this story or what gave me this kind of access. And those are the stories that I need to go after.
0: Right. Now, one of the things I noticed about you is like, you're very, very successful at social media. Like you've, it, it feels like you've sort of mastered the art of social media, which I think as a, as a journalist becomes very powerful, right? Because you, you recognize the ability of social media to, for a, a person to be able to get their message across, Right. Um, and obviously we're seeing social media and the Internet evolve every day. I, I mean, your opinion, how do you? How can people sort of use new types of, of media to tell their stories, to have their voices heard when when maybe they, they couldn't previously or it was difficult previously?
1: I think the biggest thing when it comes to – and thank you for all of that. I, I feel like I'm still a work in progress. I'm still trying to learn. But I think the biggest thing <laughs> in learning is um, – that in order to I guess in a way master social media you have to understand that it isn't just about you pushing out content it's about the engagement that comes with it and so I always say that I would rather grow in engagement than grow in numbers of following because Mm -hmm. behind every single like behind every single comment behind every single view is an actual person and people tend to forget that so if your like video is getting 5,000 views and you're just like man that's not a lot of um, that's not a lot compared to like a million. Think about a room filled with 5,000 people. Like That's a lot of people. And they're all totally. listening to you. They're all looking at your what you have to say. And so you have to remember that the engagement and the people that you're already interacting with are just as important and sometimes and almost all the time more important than growing that, that number um, of just the following. And so... Whenever you have a chance to engage, then engage. And if that means asking a question with your post, commenting back, responding to Snapchat, whatever it is. At the same time, especially if you're like a public figure or if you're growing a lot more, the Internet is a super harsh place. And so sometimes it's it's way harder to look at the comments. I oftentimes will just skim before I really sit down and read and respond to somebody because I don't want to take in the negativity, and it's not worth it sometimes, um, especially when people are just ruthless and, and they're, they're just being trolls. And so um, it's, you have, there's, like, a fine line between taking care of yourself and, like, your personal life and balancing that with social media. And I think when you kind of kind of master that balance, um, it becomes really fun. It becomes something, a place where you know that you can engage and you build this audience that really wants to hear from you and that you want to hear from them and you're talking to them and you're laughing with them and then they, they, they'll come up to you at events and say, you know what, I've been following you all these years. It feels like I know you. It feels like we're already friends. And that's huge because not only do you have that platform where people enjoy the stuff that you wear what you have to say or the stories that you're producing, but you created this Relationship with people that they're never going to forget. That one time you responded to somebody um, that you'll never remember, but they will always remember, and that's that's so important. And so I would just say, like, when it comes to building um, your social media, prioritize that kind of engagement before you prioritize growing your numbers.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, like that that interaction you mentioned. I mean, it really highlights the fact that you can you can form like a real personal connection to someone or to many, many people all throughout the world without ever having met them or have or have a real conversation with them. It's, it's pretty interesting, and I think it does, like, sort of highlight how powerful uh, social media can be. Um, and, and, in fact, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about that, I, I don't know, I, I, I could be wrong about this, but one of the things I observed was that you seem to be a fan of hip-hop and street culture. Um, I saw, like, I think a reference to, to – to some hip hop groups and your your bios and stuff. Is that is that accurate?
1: Yeah, I mean I so I worked in um in music when I worked in the at the radio station um at a hip hop radio station here in DC and my husband actually owns a streetwear brand that's heavily based in um, music and hip hop culture. And so it's something that I've always been a fan of, but I'm also just a really huge music fanatic and so I <laughs> I hate to kind of be that cliche person, but I'm a fan of, like, all genres of music. Um, I'm, actually just, like, <laughs> I'm the same way. So don't worry. Last <laughs> night, Yeah, no, I hate when people say that, and that, and they're just like, yeah, I love listening to <laughs> everything, and really, you're just listening to, like, top 40 radio stations, but I genuinely love listening to everything. I went to, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, because I know you're in New York, and New York has it, um, So Far Sounds, and it's just kind of like this. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah it's the, the apartment thing, right?
1: Yeah, well it's not just at apartments. Yesterday was actually at the Anne's Pizza headquarters, which is super cool, but it's just like super intimate um concert and it was so much fun. I like we had such a blast, but it was it was something that I absolutely um, loved a lot and enjoyed and I have a ton of concerts coming up that I'm going to, which even the concerts that I'm going to is kind of proof of like the wide array of music that I like to listen to now that I think about it. But um but this is, like, a really great way to hang out.
0: What, what are some of the concerts, if you don't mind me asking? Who are you going to see?
1: Oh, my gosh. Okay, so, <laughs> so I'm going <laughs> – this week I'm going to see Hans Zimmer, He's a German composer. He, like, composed, oh, wow. um, like, film scores, like, Pirates of the Caribbean, Inception, um, The Dark Knight Yeah, and arises. Dunkirk
0: this Friday.
1: Yeah, yeah. He, so, oh my gosh, yeah. So, um, so I'm super excited. <laughs> and then I am traveling, and then when I get back, I have Coldplay, um, J Cole, Lincoln Park because I'm friends with Mike Shinoda, and then we're going to see Logic because we're friends with Logic. And then um, I wanted to go to Taking Back Sunday, but I think I just got booked for an event. And Ed Sheeran. Um, and then I'm like, I know I'm blanking on one, but, but yeah, just like from, from J. Cole and Logic to Linkin Park in Coldplay and then Hans Zimmer in between. So.
0: Right. And with the, with the emo resurgence of Taking Back Sunday, I love it. I love it. I would, I would go oh, to matter.
1: all these Taking concerts Back so. I I'm like <laughs> so sad that I think I don't, I won't be able to make it because I like, that's my childhood. That the entire Ladder Now too. album was my closest. So I'm, yeah.
0: It's so good. I remember uh, seeing them on on uh, on that tour actually, the Ladder Now tour, and I'll never forget they, they used to do that thing. I don't know if they still do because I haven't seen them in a long time. Where lead singer would just wrap the mic cable around his neck and then unwind it and twirl his head around. It was, uh, I don't know. They they put on a pretty good show.
1: Oh my gosh, yeah. I've seen I've seen videos of him doing that. Like oh. She's so amazing, and that album is just like <laughs> I still listen to it like every week.
0: So yeah, okay. So I know you don't have much more time, so I wanna um i I just have a couple other quick ones. So I, I guess who do you admire, and it could really be in any field. I guess in journalism, um, it could even be in music. I mean, who is a person, or who are some people uh, that you admire right now?
1: Um, one of my mentors. Uh, that I admire a lot is Lisa Ling and that's just because um, she's been somebody I've been able to come to for advice while I'm I actually just talked to her yesterday because she did an episode of This is Life at Dennis Hawk's Brossel in Las Vegas and we're going there for a separate story but we're going to Brussels, and, um and just being able to like watch her stuff and kind of see myself in her in a way that like one, like I want to have that kind of platform and I want to constantly be fearless in the environments that I'm in and ask the questions that I'm really thinking. And she does a really great job of that. And she's able to like balance that with her family and going home. And I feel like I've been in this whirlwind of traveling all the time and love being home when I can, can be home. And, um, so I, I look up to her a lot, especially especially now. Anyone else? As corny as this sounds, can I say my mom? Just because I recently, of course. Um, I recently got married and I just, like, don't know how she did it. I, I, like, have attempted to learn how to cook. Like, my husband and I will try to cook and I just will throw a fit because I'm like, this, I don't want to do this. Like, I just want my mom's food. I want to, like, eat out. Like, I can't handle this. And so <laughs> I'll go home. Or, like, I'll see her, and I'll, I'll tell her about my frustrations, and she'll just... my Her and my dad will just laugh at me, and they're just like, you're still learning. But I'm just like, no, this is stupid. But, but yeah, she's like... Well, I, think, I think saying your mom feels, is totally...
0: No, I was just going to say it's totally oh, yeah. a fair answer. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off.
1: No, no, no. She, she's like super mom. She had five kids and managed to be a counselor and went to culinary school and learned Spanish and like, hopefully raise decent children. So she's awesome.
0: That's awesome. Okay, last question. You're a journalist. You're definitely a very forward thinking person. Um, Like I said, you've mastered social media. Um, What is the future of journalism?
1: Mm, The future of journalism is people being able to take it into their hands more than ever. And by saying that, People ask me now, like, if it's too late for them to become a journalist if they weren't studying it in college, and I'm just like, absolutely not. Actually, one of the pieces of advice that Ted Koppel gave me when I was 15 and I met him was you don't need to study journalism. If you are going to study journalism, then make sure you study something else. And so I, at the time, was about to – I wanted to major in broadcast journalism, but because of that, I also studied international development, conflict management, because you have to become an expert in something to kind of be valuable in doing this. And when it comes to journalism, you just need to find your voice and you need to write and write and write no matter what and learn to write for different platforms. But that's also something that you really can learn in the newsroom and through internships. Like I learned a lot more in internships and um, in my early job than I did in journalism school in four, like in, well, two years of journalism school. Um, so yeah, so just, being able to kind of use the resources at hand. And um, I think a lot of it is going to focus um, in digital video and digital outlets. And that's kind of what we're doing right now with this documentary series. Um, a Woman's Job is on Hulu, and this uh, series for sex tracking will also be on Hulu. So just being able to be on those platforms where people are already watching their favorite shows, but being able to get a dose of. Um, some of the realities going on in our country and around the world. So I think that, and just, I think maybe even finding our voices more than ever. I feel like a lot of the people who are um, up and coming in journalism have such a distinct voice, but it's very different from like Walter Cronkite. It's people who are talking to you the same way they would talk to their friends. Although I feel like Walter Cronkite probably did talk to his friends that way. Um, But it's just really having that intimate relationship with the story and with the person telling it.
0: I I completely agree with all that. And in fact, the, the, the style of talking and the voice thing, uh, I mean, that's something we talk about in anchor all the time. Like we, you know, we really want listening to anchor uh, not to make this about anchor to, to feel natural and feel like you're listening to a friend, not like you're listening to, um, you know, like a super seasoned journalist who's been doing it for 50 years. Right. Because I think hearing people, uh, you know, talk to you in a way that they might talk to you in a regular conversation. Uh, it's just much more accessible, and I feel like it's easier to learn and absorb information. Um, but anyway, that's a whole other thing. I'm sure you and I could talk yeah. about for hours. Um, this has been great. Um, Nora, thank you so much. Is there anything? Is there anything that we didn't cover that you wanna you wanna mention? Um, obviously you talked about the the documentary. We'll definitely make people aware of that when when the schedule airs. But anything else?
1: No, I think that that was, I mean, you asked really great stuff um, and poked at my childhood memories. So, I I mean, if you have any other <laughs> questions in the future, let me know. But, yeah, that was awesome.
0: This is great. Okay, Nora, thank you so much, and uh, have an awesome day.
1: Thanks so much, Michael. Talk to you soon. Bye.
0: All right, bye.